friends. Welcome back to another incredible episode of the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host. I'm Kara Crinsfelli. I'm a certified health and anti-diet life coach, and I'm also training to become a breathwork facilitator. On this podcast, we talk all about healing your relationship with food, taking care of your health, healing your relationship with your body and your body image, being more confident, and creating and cultivating a deeper relationship with yourself, a relationship of respect and self-love. And today on the podcast, we are talking with Martinez Evans. He is also known as 300 pounds and running on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. He's a marathon runner and he is changing the way we see and think about fitness, fatness, and health. I'm really excited for today's podcast episode, I left this conversation with Martinez feeling just incredibly inspired, moved, filled with hope. He has the most infectious, welcoming, warm, but also take no shit kind of attitude. I deeply appreciate uh, who he is. And I think you're going to walk away from this episode feeling the same. He is someone who is showing you that you can be physically fit and healthy and accomplish incredible physical feats and be fat. And we need to see more of that in our world. Damn, do we need to see more of that. Now, I want to just quickly before we get in, have a conversation about this, like how taking care of your health is not the same thing as trying to make your body smaller, even though that's what we're told. So regardless of the size of your body, I really believe that separating weight from health is likely one of the best things that you can do to like that you can actually do for your health in general, but especially if you are struggling with a disordered relationship with food and struggling with your relationship with your body. While it absolutely goes against the grain of conventional wisdom and teachings from diet culture and our society, losing weight really is not the best way to get healthier. And it's certainly not the panacea that diet culture sells it to be. Like, it's not an absolute requirement in order to improve your health and quality of life, your mental mental well-being. Now, most diets and intentional attempts at making your body smaller don't last. Maybe you're somebody who's been yo-yo dieting and weight cycling for years, and you can attest to that. Typically, they contribute to emotional eating, binge eating, and even weight gain in the long run, uh, meaning like diets and intentional attempts at weight loss contribute that. And they're a huge trigger, like a huge risk factor for dieting and eating disorders. You know, one in four dieters goes on to develop an eating disorder. Like they're a, it's a risk factor for a very serious life-threatening mental illness. So that means that the main thing diet culture tells us will make us healthier, you know, trying to get smaller, dieting, is probably leaving most of us less healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So when you consider all of this, when we are healing our relationship with food, when we're wanting to cultivate body respect, respect for our body, we would really benefit from removing intentional weight loss from our health efforts and instead take a weight neutral approach to self-care and health care. And this is something that Martinez talks about. This is what he works on with his clients. So 
you know, this isn't some fantasy thing. Like, this is real. And the good news is that there are loads of ways to take care of your health that are not about controlling your weight, dieting, or making your body smaller. So for example, some of those things are like managing your stress and your mental health, getting therapy or coaching if you need it, getting enough sleep, eating fruits and vegetables, being active in intuitive ways that are joyful and not punishing, and so much more. If you can't tell, I freaking love this topic, and I'm really excited to share that we are going much deeper into it, not only today on the podcast, but next month, the month of June, inside Food Body Soul, the membership. Food Body Soul, the membership is my monthly group coaching program for those who want to make peace with food, find confidence in their skin, and cultivate a deeper connection to themselves. Now, it is totally possible that weight loss will occur by engaging in weight neutral behaviors. Those some of those things that I had just mentioned. Like it's totally possible, I'm not denying that. But it's also possible that it won't change. The good news though is that regardless of changes in weight, you will actually be taking care of your health. And it's important to add that I'm no stranger to orthorexia. I know that the pursuit of health itself can become incredibly unhealthy. And so we're also going to be discussing how to take a holistic approach, meaning how to include your mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being and health in your overall efforts. I'm really excited to be talking about this next month inside Food, Body, Soul. And one of the reasons why is because of the impact it had for me personally. When I based my worth on my body size and when I was so obsessed with shrinking my body and getting smaller, I was also in so much shame around my body. And whenever we have shame around our body, we have shame around food. That emotional attachment to food is what I had to transform. And it's what a lot of people in the healing process also have to transform. When you're able to start to detach your worth from your body size, and connect to your inherent worthiness, you become less attached to food and basing your morality on it, meaning you no longer see yourself as good or bad based on what you eat or good or bad based on what you weigh. And when I was able to detach weight loss from health and instead truly desire to actually take care of my health in all of the ways, uh, when I detangled those things in my mind, when I detached them, The way I ate and the way I took care of myself radically changed. I started to eat from a place of love for myself, a place of care, from a place of respect for myself and my body. And that's what the month of June inside Food, Body, Soul is about. It's about you truly taking care of yourself, truly feeling good, being able to have the energy that you desire, the digestion that you desire, uh, the mental clarity that you desire, you know, it's about you truly feeling good and really taking care of your health. Again, it's not about this pursuit of weight loss. Whatever happens with your weight is whatever happens with your weight. And today, I think the episode with Martina is you're going to get to hear from somebody who was able to decouple the two things for himself not because he didn't at some point want to lose weight. He very much did. Uh, Martinez shares that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop talking here. I want us to get into the episode 
when Martinez and I stopped recording, we ended up continuing on talking and having a conversation. And I'm super bummed. I wish we were still recording because it was really awesome. But I asked him if it was okay to share what we had talked about. And we were talking about him and writing his book. And we also talked about running a marathon. So he has 70,000 words. Um, for context, he got a book deal. He's in the process of, of writing a book right now. Sorry about that. And we were talking about that. And he is required to write 70,000 words. And that's, that's a lot of words. That's no easy feat. Just like running a marathon, running 26.2 miles is no easy feat. Recovering from an eating disorder, healing and getting healthier. These are not always simple, easy feats. And I loved what he had said. He had said that the way he's approaching his book is the same way he's approached running a marathon. And it's breaking it down into small little pieces, small little chunks. So his goal for the book was to write 300 or 400 words a day. I forget the exact number, but he told himself, he did the math. He's like, if I just write this many words a day, I'm going to accomplish my goal of getting this manuscript written in the time frame allotted. Just like when he first started running, he started out running for 15 seconds and then 30 seconds and then a minute and so on. And this is maybe not the best analogy, but it's an analogy that I heard at one point and it said, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you don't eat it in one big bite. You do it one bite at a time. Now, obviously I'm not eating elephants, but I think you get what I mean. So if you are in a place where you have something you want to accomplish, whatever it is, no matter how big or small, you get to do it one micro mini action at a time. You get to break it down into manageable pieces and build upon itself. Now, this is what I do with my one-on-one coaching clients who are in recovery. We break their recovery up and do it one lily pad at a time. It's what I do inside Food, Body, Soul with the group. That's what we're talking about next month in the month of June as it relates to taking care of your health. What are the little micro actions that you can take to feel how you want to feel in your body? And it's what Martinez has been doing to accomplish all of the amazing things that he's been up to. So... Martinez is a health at every size scholar and a certified run coach. He has strong, a strong academic background in exercise science, a master's degree in health promotion and digital media and design, and a graduate certificate in health education, and was on a PhD track for public health. He has authored and co-authored scientific articles on exercise, weight loss, and social media, He is a marathon runner, a run coach, and is the author of the 300 Pounds and Running blog and is the creator of the Slow AF Run Club, a safe space for back-of-the-pack runners to congregate, share, learn, grow, and meet other runners. So I am really excited about today's episode. If you can't tell, I'm really excited for you guys to get to hear it and learn more about Martinez. If you're not familiar with him, enough of me yapping away. Let's get into today's interview. Oh yeah. And if you want to join us in Food Body Soul, you go to foodbodysoul.co. Again, that's foodbodysoul.co. Don't know if I said that earlier when I was yapping on. All right, let's get into it. So I was reading, you you wrote an open letter to race directors from the back of the pack, which brought me to tears, by the way. I could really feel your, your heart as well as your frustration in that letter. You had said, for me, running not only changed my life, it saved it. So can you tell us about your story and your journey and how running has impacted your life? 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to take you almost back 10 years. Uh, I started running in 2012. Um, it wasn't one of those stories where it's like, you know, I discovered running. Mine's was basically based off of spite. So um, I ran into my doctor at the time, or it, it goes a little bit like this. I, I was working in men's warehouse, selling suits on my feet all day, um, over 300 plus pounds, almost close to 400 pounds. Um, and I walked into the place where I worked at the time and felt a sharp pain in my hip. Um, that led me to go see a doctor, which led me to go see another doctor, which led me to go see this other doctor. And he was like, you know, Mr. Evans, I know why you're in pain. And I'm thinking, oh, it's gonna be like a previous injury from me playing football or things of that sort. And it was like, he was like, it's because you're fat. And I was like, what? And for those who don't know me, I am 6'3", you know, very towering, you know, 300 plus pound guy. And this guy is like five, five, 135 pounds soaking wet. And he's talking about, I'm just fat. It's like, do you not, do you not see who I am? And um, so we had like this big argument in the doctor's office. Cause he's like, you know, you're going to die. Uh, you need to lose weight, all this other stuff. And I'm like, screw you. Like I'm gonna run a marathon. And he laughs and have like this biggest belly laugh. Like you run a marathon. Like if you do that, you're definitely going to die. So I stormed out to the doctor's office. And as I was driving home, um, I, I picked up, I, I drove past this running shoe store and made a U-turn, went inside there and told them I need running shoes and I need them now. And went home, got on the treadmill and could only run for 15 seconds and failed miserably. And then, you know, I felt bad. I felt horrible. I thought the doctor was right. And then the next day um, I got back at it you know, 15 seconds between 30 seconds, 30 seconds between became a minute, minutes became miles, and then miles became marathon. So, you know, since, you know, since 2012, I've ran over 100 different races, eight different marathons, and, you know, I'm still going strong. Yeah, I mean, it's so, it's, it's so cool. I mean, running a marathon in general is, such an incredible physical feat. I think one that not only takes physical stamina, but like mental commitment and stamina. I'm also just so sad about the weight stigma that you experience in the doctor's office. Um, like I, I know you're not alone in those types of awful, unfortunate experiences where you're supposed to be with a healthcare provider, mm-hmm. you know, um, we've talked about that quite a bit on the podcast. So I'm just, I'm happy that it turned out to be something that was, it's, it sounds like a catalyst or a pivotal moment in your life that really was a trajectory for you as opposed to something that ended up being a negative. Would you, do you relate to it that way as well? Yeah, you know, cause the thing is nobody just not gonna talk to me any type of way. So I'm definitely a, a type of guy, you know, if we've ever met, I'm very laid back and cool, but there's just a sense of respect that I'm going to have um, that I command. Right. And the same thing with this doctor, I don't care that you went to med school. You just not going to talk to me any type of way. And it, it, yes, it became that thing of like, Oh, I'm going to show this doctor because he don't know who, he don't know who the fuck I am. And, um, and we're going to go from there. So yeah, it became a catalyst, but you know, that was 10 years ago, right? Now it's more of a, you know, outward facing thing to like an internal facing thing. It's the thing that brings me joy and happiness. 
That's amazing. Yeah, that's so cool. When you first set out to run, what you know, in your um, Instagram profile, you say, I help people be active without the pressure of weight loss. When you first set out to run, was there weight loss goals associated or were you just wanting to run and to prove this doctor wrong? Um, yes. Um, so to, to even give a, a further background, right? So I have degrees like a thermometer. So I've been a big guy all my life. So I've always tried to find ways to, you know, try to figure out ways to like use those things on me in order to lose weight because I've been bullied. I've been picked on things of that sort. And like the same was true for the doctor. So, you know, I have a bachelor's in exercise physiology, have a master's in health promotion, you know, I worked at a weight loss clinic, so on and so forth. So when I first started, like, yeah, it was, it was, all it was all of a weight loss journey give me that weight loss i wanted it right and it wasn't until um i think i got injured after my first marathon i got into like a very car bad car accident and you know i gained back all the weight that i've lost and so on and so forth but the thing that i was noticing and realizing like it wasn't the weight loss that made me happier it was the running like you know me losing you know, 20 pounds did not make me 20 times happier. It was the fact of like being active and, you know, experiencing life in spite of like whatever, whatever weight I weighed at the time. And then from there, I just went head on. Like, you know, this is the land, this is the line I'm drawing in the sand to say that it's not really about weight loss. It's about being physically active, regardless of what weight you're at. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I think that's such a, a powerful shift. And also, like you had said, losing 20 pounds didn't make you 20 times happier. I think, you know, I, I've been thin my whole life and I have thin privilege. Um, but I think often we think that getting thinner, losing weight is going to make us that happier. Did you experience some happiness being smaller, like, or like losing weight? Um, or was it more of like, oh, this didn't make as big as an impact as I thought it would? Um, I, guess, I think that's a good, uh, interesting question. Not really. Like, I wasn't happier or things of that sort. Like, I was still a big guy. Like, I lost almost close to 100 pounds, you know, but weighing, you know, 360, 370 pounds, you know, I was still a big guy afterwards. That So it didn't really make, like, a change when it came to, like, quote-unquote happiness, right? You know, other than, like, you know, people telling me I look better or so on and so forth. But that didn't like that didn't make or break me right it was more for me of like challenging myself and doing the things that that like doing hard things that impressed people or 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 gave you that look like how many miles you're running like oh i'm finna run a marathon and people not know what a marathon is and be like oh it's 26.2 miles and then like the look on the face like shit you like your big ass about to go do it like yeah and it didn't matter what weight that was. That could have been at 260 or that could have been at 360. The the that astonishment of saying I'm about to run 26.2 miles and do it for fun and enjoy it was enough for me. That was it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um yeah, that's so exciting. Uh and you know, like having fun doing it. That just, to me running a marathon, I'm like, I'm like, no way. There's no way I could do that. <laughs> but um, I love hearing that you go ahead. What were you going to say? <laughs> no. And, uh, and the other thing I was going to add is that, you know, after losing that weight, like it wasn't something that you can have behind because like, 
you know, people, we, we can hide behind our weight, right? We can have, hide behind overeating or, you know, work, dealing with an eating disorder and things of that sort. And that just be the thing. But once you lose the weight, like you still have to go face those demons. Like you still got to go face the thing that made you, you know, do the thing that got you that way. And the same was true for me. Like I had to face those demons. So it wasn't like the weight loss didn't make it better. You know, it was still things that was in the closet that I didn't want to come out that when I lost weight came out. Right. So it, it wasn't, it was, I just don't want to like the, the whole notion of like, Oh, you're going to lose weight and you're going to become happier. And then like, you're going to go live your best life like that. That wasn't it. Mm. Are you willing to kind of go into some of those things that came out of the closet, like that you had to deal with? Is there more to share there? I think so. Like, you know, one of the things is that my brother committed suicide when I was 10. I seen his body. Right. Like that puts like that. That affects you. Right. Um, or just growing up in a single parent household and growing up dirt poor and the only way that your mother could like reward you or like, you know, get, buy gifts was to buy food and buy donuts, right? And really to understand like what, like what was these underlining things that, that went along with this quote unquote weight, you know, this quote unquote weight that I gained, um, that there was all, uh, all there that I had to go get addressed in therapy. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah. So I'm assuming then that you did go and address those things and work on processing and, and healing from them. Yeah. 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 So when people, when people get into exercise or wanting to have a healthier lifestyle, often they do go into it with that single minded focus of weight loss. I'm wondering if um, you have, I know that for some people it's like dieting can be a distraction. It's like, I want to lose weight because I think it's going to make me feel better, but they have something bigger underneath kind of like what you were saying, like dealing with those skeletons, working with your, your brother and your, your upbringing. Do you think that a lot of people's motivation, at least in your experience or with your clients is maybe that like they, maybe they have something that they're not willing to address or don't know they need to address that could have been a previous childhood trauma just for simplicity's sake. And then they go through that process and then they realize, oh, it's actually skeletons in the closet. Yes. Um, I would say maybe about 80% of the time, you know, people go through that, that quote unquote journey and then find like there are skeletons in the closet. Um, but it, it, it's, it's interesting to see, see their mind change, right? So one of the things that I'm always uh, talking to my clients about is that, you know, the scale doesn't dictate how much you run or how little you run, right? Like we have to get past the whole notion that like, all right, if you hop on the scale, you gain three pounds. That's not me and I'm gonna make you run more. Like the plan is the plan. And I think, you know, when it comes to most people, like we do things, we do things like just all willy nilly without necessarily having a plan. So, you know, the main thing or the thing that I'm always working with with my clients and, and people where I, I talk to is find a plan and stick to it. Like find a plan, stick to the plan and then work the plan. Because like, 
that's the thing. Like the, the outcomes are going to be the outcomes, but if you're following the plan, like you're going to be golden. Yeah. And so you kind of mean like outcomes, like regardless of like weight changes, yeah. like keep so regardless going. Of weight, yeah. yeah. Like regardless of weight changes. Right. Especially like, that's why like when I train people, like it, it's not about weight. There's about other goals that you have in mind. Like if you want to go play with your kids longer, all right, go play with your kids now and see how long it takes you before you get winded. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you know, you want to run this race. Well, what can you run now? Like actual tangible goals, not worrying about weight loss. Yeah. 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 Like the other, the other things that come with being active and getting into a fitness lifestyle. Because the the thing is this, right? Like weight loss is one of those things and, and just weight in general is one of those things that is not as simple as people make it. And like the CDC, the CDC has already said like 25% of like what they consider quote unquote healthy lifestyle behaviors only affects weight loss, right? Only 25%. The other things are like things that we can't control. Where we grown up at, you know, who our parents are, genetics, things of that sort. We can't control that. So it's interesting how, you know, people put, you know, all of the, all their eggs in a basket on something that you really only have 25% control of. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're kind of like misled in society about the extent to which we do have control over our weight, even though we have data that shows us that it's mostly not in our control. Like you're saying, it's these other lifestyle, um, like socioeconomic things, genetics, where you grew up, um, these things out of our control. I think we're just kind of like lied to about it. Do you feel that way as well? Absolutely. You know, uh, it's like <laughs> the matrix taking a red or blue pill. Um, and I think even when I was going through school um, to like really learn this stuff, right. It, it, it's some of those terms that, that just really stuck with me throughout my life. So for example, the term, the term homeostasis, right? Like when, when they teach you about homeostasis, it's about like you getting cut and then like all of the macrophages and things come into your body to like repair that cut. But homeostasis works throughout the whole body. And that's even for like weight as well. Right. And that, those are the things that we really talk about because it's not sexy. It's not sexy to talk about like, well, you know that, you know, if you start to lose weight, like your body's going to send signals to tell you to eat, your metabolism is going to slow down and like all these other things. They don't tell you that all they tell you is that, you know, go eat this certain diet and they go work out a lot and it's going to, it's going to work without telling all the other uh, processes that play. Mm, did they teach you that in school? Like these other processes that play, like when you do restrict food, like the response that your body, you know, like your body perceives it as a famine. Was that something that was a part of your your training and your education or yeah. was that kind of left out too? Um, a little bit of both. So during my bachelor's degree in exercise science, sort of, it was brought up in a way like, you know, there's this homeostasis thing, but it really took me into like me getting my master's degree, doing, you know, extra research, you know, working at a weight loss clinic and things of that, things of that sort that, you know, those things came up where it's like, oh, like there's other processes at play when it comes to the psychological body or the physiological body, uh, the physiological responses to your body. 
Yeah, I think they're they're important to know, like for people to know that like it's just not as simple as we're made it out to be and that you're not a failure if you can't lose weight. It like might quite literally be your body trying to maintain homeostasis and not right. fault of your lack of willpower or lack of compliance, you know. Right. Uh, go ahead. And then I was gonna say, like just to get and this is like nerdy, right? But like the the other things is that they the things that people don't tell you is that fat cells grow like like your fat cells can split <laughs> and like continue to propagate but when you lose that weight your fat cells just shrink they just don't disappear so it is one of those things that it is it's interesting and fascinating when you start looking at the body to say oh like when someone gains weight like their fat cells are actually split split and then like grow bigger and then split again but if you lose that weight like those fat cells those same fat cells that you just grown just get smaller they just don't disappear i had did not know that thank you for that <laughs> that nerdy little nugget right there I, I did not know that so so what's the impact like what's the like because of this is there like sort of what does that mean i guess is there like a uh like because they don't actually disappear they just shrink i don't know what i'm getting at i don't know what i'm trying to ask <laughs> So that goes back to the homeostasis. Okay. I think that 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 tidbit of nugget goes hand in hand with homeostasis. So if you've been at this weight for a period of time and then your body sees that as like your stand standard weight, and then as you start to lose weight, and if you lose weight drastically, like those fat cells that you had that was filled up they're they don't disappear like they just don't go away like they just shrink they just has let's just think of like think of them as, as balloons right like when you lose weight those balloons get smaller but those the balloons don't go away and then that's what the whole process of like homeostasis comes into play because now like since they're shrunken and they're used to being at this this size like those are the other physical physiological responses that comes along with like metabolism slowing down, you know, the, the urges for hunger and things of that sort that comes around, that comes along with that. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Thank you for, again, for that little nerdy nugget right there. I love that. So I'm, I want to ask you about men and specifically kind of often being kind of left out or forgotten when it comes to the body positivity realm. And it's, you know, often seen as a movement for, for women or a space for women. You know, what's been your experience with that? And why do you think men are maybe not as open about body shame as say women are? Oh man. Um, you got 20 hours. Talk about this for for twenty four hours. I mean, I'll um, I'll hang out. <laughs> I, I would say like the main thing is like historically, women has been um, historically when it comes to like body size and things of that sort. Like women have have gotten have have received the grunt of that, right? When it comes to sizes and you know all that stuff. So when it comes to when it comes to like weight on men's side, it's 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 completely different. You know, first things first, like obesity was in quote unquote like an old white man or rich white man's disease. So like to be obese or to be big and you know, certain populations 
was like the thing to be. So when you, you, you look at that and you look at the, the other spectrum of like, you know, gym culture or bro culture of like gains and, you know, being as big and buff as possible. Like there is no way, like there's, isn't a like happy medium. Right. So if you look at all of the men's health magazines or, you know, you'll see a, a rock hard body or so on and so forth. And when they look at their body or when they talk about their body, it's always in, in, in the, in the scope of being as rock hard and having as, as many abs as possible. It's never about like just living a regular life or, you know, or just, just living life in general, right? Like regardless of this thing, it's always about those goals and like even the quote unquote dead bod, right? Like it's about this dad who had kids and now he's, he's gained this quote unquote sympathy weight from his significant other. It's not about like, oh, like there's a lot of life going on. I'm living life and I'm trying to live life to my best, to my best. Yeah. It's um, like appearance and, focused. Yes. Yeah. And, and for me, like it, it has been hard. Um, I would say even throughout this journey of like fitness and, you know, becoming the man I am now, like finding clothes has been the hardest thing. And it's the, it's the most infuriating thing out there. Last time I checked, like where I don't have any gender preference, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the, the same like where that's made to make plus size women clothes at Target, like could be made to, to also to be made to make plus size fitness clothes for men. But I think the fact that it's, you know, the fact that it's more, I, I think the fact that women are consuming, you know, are largely, you know, what they consider like consumers, like they, they, they pander to women about this. And as a man, like, I'm going to say, like, I want to be pandered to as well. Like I want plus size clothes. Like I want to go into Target and, and see a plus size mannequin wearing sweatpants or whatever they wearing, right? And it, it, it just frustrates that as a man, when I go to Target and I'm just using Target as a general, cause that's, you know, but you can go to any place, right? And, and then go see, to walk through a store and then see how they have like a plus size women area in the store see the mannequins and like oh yeah like this is amazing like i'm i'm about to go get my toilet paper and my laundry detergent i'm gonna stop by the plus size men's session and go pick up something and then you get there and it's just like a little bitty baby cart like two shirts on there and it's like i know y'all can do it because y'all y'all done it for women so why are you not doing it for men like why is it why is it not equally and then that's when it's like Oh, I see capitalism. Like, you know, it just makes you think like, do these brands really care about the, the equity of size or is it another play for capitalism? I don't know, but it's, it's an interesting question to, to put out there and, and, and to start asking. Yeah. It, interesting to the most recent statistic I've read. I don't have the statistic for men. Maybe, maybe you do, but that like 67% of the U S population is plus size. And while we are, I think make, there has been progress in terms of, like you said, there are, there is a plus size section at target now, and there didn't used to be. So there we are making progress, but it's so interesting to like, think that there's, there's 
so like if we are looking from a capitalist perspective, there's a huge consumer base, a huge customer base that is widely underserved that is probably like eager and ready and willing to spend their money if the clothes were more available and more accessible to them. And I'm, I think this is maybe why you um, created your clothing line. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it is the thing. Cause like I created my slow F like t-shirt line because I was frustrated on going into these big box retailers and not finding anything my size. Like I want, I want flashy clothes. Like I'm a runner. I got personality. I want, I, I want something other than blue and black to wear as fitness clothes. Right. Like I'm out here running marathons. I'm out in the sun, like wearing black is the worst color to run to wear in out in the sun. Like I want bright green. I want to be seen. I want to be seen. I want bright orange. I want to be seen when I'm running. I don't want to be camouflaged. So like that was the, the need or like the selfish need that I was feeling for myself of like, Hey, I need clothes. I need to, I need to be able to wear this stuff. And I want to be able to wear something that's um, representative of me and my personality. Yeah. Well, I hope that this message reaches them very soon and that you do have more options. So on your, on your Instagram, you know, you talk about normalizing fat flyness and the joy through adversity. So can you give us some examples of what you mean here and why do you feel like it is so vital for us to showcase um, diversity and in your words, normalizing fat flyness? (laughs) Well, I think that's one of the things of like going back to a, you know, men and then plus size clothes, right? Is that you know, the, the thing is that I want to be fly in all aspects of life. Like in fitness, I want to be fly. Like when it comes to regular clothes, like I don't want clothes that just hang off of me like a tent. Like I want well-fitting clothes. And I think, you know, that's the main thing I'm saying when it comes to flat, fi- fat, fat flyness. Um, and then the other thing when it comes to adversity is that adversity is a, is a, is a part of life. Like we, we go through it. Right. And, you know, for a lot of people, you know, they see this adversity as like, oh, something's holding me back or someone holding me back of versus me. I look at it as a way to, um, I look at it as a way to like really put myself to the test to really see, am I really what I'm made made to be. Right. And then finding joy uh, amongst that, right. To know that, adversity don't necessarily have to be a negative thing it can just be a thing that you have to go through and then when you look back to say look look where I was and look where I'm at now yeah it sounds like it gives you like adversity can give you in a general sense uh, an opportunity to really see your strength and your determination and your creativity to overcome the adversity Cause the thing is, is that if we don't have bad days or have something to overcome, like how do we know what d- good days are? You know, hundred percent. If every day was a good day, there would be no good days. It would be just like a flat line, you know? Right. Yeah. Like we can't, we can't know happiness if we don't know sadness. Totally. Right. Totally. Yeah. So tell us about running a marathon that ex- what that experience is like, you know, like when I was reading um, your open letter to the back of the, the, 
I'm sorry, let me see. I wrote it down. <laughs> Open letter to race directors from the back of the run club. And I was reading your blog and uh, like a news, a US news article talking about, you know, sometimes you want to give up. Um, you're tired, you're hot. Just like talk to us about like the mental determination and also like the, ex the whole experience. Like just what is it like to run a marathon? Running a marathon can be the bar the best and worst things of your life. <laughs> it just really depends. Um, so let's talk about some of the best things, right? 26.2 miles. There are so many feelings, emotions, um, people, places, things that you see within 26 miles, right? Like, just think about like where you stay at now and like what's around that area in the 26 mile radius, right? There's so many things to see. And it's it's something about being able like, oh, like I can travel this in my car, like point A to point B, but like, oh, I'm running this. Um, and I think it's interesting and fun. Like, so for example, uh, Big Star Marathon, you run route one, like the, wor the world famous route one. Like there are places on the marathon that you can't, you can't even be on feet on. So like, that's amazing. Cause it's like, I would have not seen this rock that they call Big Sur, like this close up in person, like in my car versus what I'm doing right now you know, on my feet. And I think the same thing can be said when it comes to like New York City or any other marathon, right? There's just places that you will not necessarily ever see on feet that you're able to see on feet and like really enjoy it. So like, that's the first thing, right? I think the second thing is that since it is this distance, there's going to be so many emotions and feelings that you're going to like go through you know, happiness, sadness for, you know, being mad, happy, all those things, right? Those things are there. And just the, the, the fact to like go through all of those emotions and then go and finish it. And you be like, damn, like I experienced all of this, but in spite of all of that, like I finished it. That's amazing. Um, the third thing is like putting yourself to a test, right? It, it goes back to the adversity, you know, depending on how long you're training for it, right? It can take anywhere between, you know, 18 to 20 weeks, you know, as short as like 12 weeks, depending on where you at, you know, to say like, oh, like I, I put myself to, I'm going to train for this long. I did it. And this is the thing that I'm using as a way to celebrate the thing I trained for. And then when it comes to like some of the negatives, like those are the, some of the things that goes into the, um, the open letter to race directors, right? So like, since, you know, some of those things are like, you know, some of the things that I mentioned, right? Taking down signs too soon, not having enough water, you know, going through things that are not feeling like you're supported throughout the race and making it where it's an obstacle course, you get lost and all these other things, right? And I think for some people, like, it's definitely a way to like get angry about because I'm pissed about it as well. I spent my money and some of these races are not cheap. Like, you know, some of these races are $200, $300. And I pay $200, $300. I want to be treated just like everybody else. So, you know, I spent this money. I didn't got on a plane. I didn't flew there. I didn't got a hotel room. I didn't did all these things. And you're saying I can't have the same experience as somebody else because I run slow? Why let me into the race? Like, why, why let me into the race then? So I, I think those are some of the things that when it comes into play, right? And 
some of the stories that I even shared um, in, in the open letter, right? Like, you know, I interviewed somebody that was running their first half half marathon and, you know, they they took down the signs too soon, even though they said, you know, they, they wasn't going to take it down until everybody got done. They took down the signs too soon and this woman got lost and then her phone died. So like she got lost, then ran five miles outside of the outside of the race area, has no phone, and in an area that she doesn't know. Like where's that? Where's that cool at? And the thing is, like she raised money for a charity to be a part of this thing. So I didn't raise money for a charity, and I get it. Like you know, cool charity. I didn't raise money for a charity to be a part of this thing. I didn't pay my money. I didn't travel here, and the least I can get like the least I'm asking for is to keep the signs up and give me water. Yeah. Equal treatment. Yeah. 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 Have you gotten a response from any race directors since that open letter? And have you had any positive, have you noticed any shifts in races? I, I can't imagine you ran one because of COVID last year, but have you seen any positive change? It's a mixed bag, you know, I'm definitely going to see, looking forward to see like what racing looks like after COVID, right? But I think some of the changes that came about, but I think also what's interesting is that, you know, some of the marathons had official pacers and they still went through the same thing. (laughs) Um, I think about um, this story from, I can't remember which London marathon it was, but like they had an official pacer for like the the back of the pack and that pacer got heckled and like had a rough time throughout the whole race. And that was the official pacer for the race. So, you know, I, I know that, you know, London had London marathon has did some things to like rectify that, but like there's like for there's like one London marathon to like have this thing be put on like this pedestal or like I won't say pedestal but like brought out to light there's so many other races that's on a smaller scale that this happens to that doesn't get you know the light of day yeah yeah I when I was reading about those stories and looking at the the Facebook comments that you had put at the bottom of that like I just it's so sad like it makes me want it makes it like made me cry yesterday of just it's so fucked like you said like you you paid the same money you're they're removing the top the trackers you have your loved one at the end of the finish line who can't tell where you are you 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 told the story of like oh we ran out of medals and like and maybe if like you didn't just put in all of the all of the like intense you know, commitment and effort to get through that, maybe not having a medal wouldn't seem like that big of a deal, but like you just did this incredible physical feat. Like you want your, you want your medal. And just the fact that they don't have them, like it just makes me so sad and frustrated with you and and for all of those who have had those experiences. Yeah. And I think the thing is like, my, my thing is be more black and white when it comes to this stuff, right? I think a lot of races, and, and like I said, like the, we're talking and we're, you know, simplifying it, but I know there are some gray areas, right? I understand that, you know, races have to pay for police to have it shut down and things of that sort. I understand that. But I think another way is also is that you can make this black and white. If we get past the, the, the cutoff, pick our ass up. 
don't let us run the race. But the thing of like, all right, we going to you pass the cutoff. You can still run. We still going to let you finish like all this gray area stuff. And then when people get mad, like, yeah, like you, you giving us this sense of like, oh, it's going to be okay, but it's not. And I would rather, I would rather them pick me up to say like, Hey, like the show, like well, the, the, the jig is up kid. Like you, you, you're done here. Like you ain't gonna be able to finish this race then to take down all these signs to, to let me finish and then have me sign a waiver to say, Oh, like, it's not our fault. It's not the race company's fault. If we get, if anything happened to us, like, I don't know that that just sounds shady to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, it feels so American capitalist, you know, of, of just like, we're not responsible for you. And, you know, yeah, it just feels unfair. And I hope yeah. that, I hope that it changes. Me too. Yeah. So I truly believe that there's room for everyone when it, you know, everyone at the table, when it comes to fitness and exercise and health pursuits. However, you know, given our, our culture, our, our fat shaming culture, there's a lot of trauma that comes from being, you know, existing in a larger body. I often have clients say like they, they, because they're so big, they don't even want to go to the gym or they don't even want to go out because they're worried that people are going to look at them or people are going to make comments and, and heckle them. And they feel like they have to like in secret get smaller before they can go out in public and exercise. So what would you maybe say to somebody who's in a position and in a situation like that, who is inspired by your story, who does want to be more active, but is really struggling with the very real reality of, of weight stigma in our culture? I think that's a good question. You know, a part of me wants to say do it afraid, but I, I get it, right? Because I've been there as well. And I've been there just thinking about my whole journey, right? The reason why I have a bachelor's degree in exercise science and a master's degree in, in health fitness and worked all this stuff is initially it was a part of like self-hate. Like I hated myself so much that I went to go get a degree to learn how to do these things in order to get smaller. So I, I get it. But I think a, another thing that we also need to worry about is that for me, my life didn't change until I stopped giving a fuck of what people said or think. To date, like nobody has said anything worse to me than what I've already said to myself. Like, it's like, oh, you're fat. You're going to die. Like, oh, that that's what you got. Like, that's it. Um, and, and I think that's the thing, right? If we, if we just realize that we've, we've said as much, I want to say more mean things to ourselves than what the people have said. And if we can start becoming nicer to ourselves and, and give ourselves grace and to understand that sometimes that bullshit is going to come, but that doesn't make you less than a person, like we'll be good to be able to go out there and do it because the looks going to come. And sometimes the good looks ain't negative. Sometimes it's like, oh shit. Like I see you out there, big man. I see you sis. Like, damn, you out there killing it. Maybe I need to get out there and do it more. Right. Like sometimes we just need to flip it. Even if they are looking at you in a negative way, most times I just look at it as like, oh, they're just looking at me because I'm fly. <laughs> and I'm a normalize this fat flyness. Yeah, I love that. Like switching it in your mind for yourself, you know, like turning it into a positive narrative, uh, you know, for, for yourself. And being kinder to yourself, I think in theory sounds awesome and it, and it sounds easy. 
but sometimes can be really, really challenging. Have you experienced, also thank you for, for also bringing to the conversation that part of the reason why you went on to get the, the education that you did was so that you could try to figure out a way to like, you know, get smaller and, and change how you felt about yourself. I don't think you're alone in that by any means. But was it ever hard for you to be nicer to yourself? Like, did you struggle with believing you were worthy of being nicer to yourself, worthy of a kinder internal voice? And if so, how did you transform and move past that? Uh, yes. And how did I do it? One word, therapy. <laughs> therapy. <laughs> therapy, therapy, therapy. Um, therapy does wonders. I can't even... Like if more people went to therapy and we normalized therapy, you know, I, I think we'll be in a better place. But I think like that that's that's part of the work. Like a part of the work is, you know, seek seeking the the professional help that you need to be seeked. And I even think the hard part of being a run coach or just being a coach in general is that not only are we coaching people for that particular thing, like we're coaching for like their traumas and things of that sort. And sometimes I have to go to them and say like, yo, like this is beyond like my training. Like I understand you got this going on, uh, but like this is beyond the things I know in all my training and you need to go seek professional help. And I think if more people did that and we just normalize going to therapy and normalize mental health, like we, we'll be all in a better place. But there wasn't no secret pill. It was therapy, a lot of crying, a lot of journaling, a lot of hard work, a lot of, I don't want to go to this therapy no more, but I know it's going to be good. A lot of avoiding feelings. And then when the feelings came up, I just cried more. It, it's, it's a lot of that, right? But therapy is there to, to help you go through and to process those things that, you know, that, that we all been through because we all been through some fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it, it really takes a big, big willingness to be able to feel those feelings and to look at like, you know, the dark stuff, to look at the fucked up things that we have, have gone through. What has been, and maybe you've already said this, but if you could succinct it down, what has been the impact of you being willing to go to therapy and hell yeah, like let's normalize therapy, please for, for everybody like on the other side what has become available to you because of your willingness to feel those feelings and to journal and to go to therapy and like really take a look at your inner world? Like what's on the other side for anybody who's sitting on the fence? Um, you know, to, to simplify it, you know, one thing is to, to realizing like the light at the other end of the tunnel is not a train, the sunlight. So like, like that's one thing to understand that, Oh, I'm in this tunnel. And oh, that light, there's a train, but realizing the sunlight. But I think the other thing, like the, the, the greatest thing of therapy is that like you wouldn't be talking to me if it wasn't for therapy, right? Like I've been suicide, like my brother committed suicide, right? I've, I've, I've battled with suicidal thoughts, right? And if it wasn't therapy, if it wasn't for therapy to help process some of these thoughts and to really figure out what, the, what these things are, you probably wouldn't even be talking to me. Yeah, I, I feel the same way, like with... Um, my eating disorder, like if I didn't get help and heal, like I would, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. 
Yeah. Martinez, I have, I have loved getting to chat with you and hear about your joy and how much you love fitness and the difference that you're making. And I would love to ask you, what are you most excited about in your life right now? What are you most looking forward to? Uh, well, one of the things I am most looking uh, excited for and looking forward to is I just signed a book deal. I signed a book deal. Eee, I'm so excited. <laughs> It's, it's a super exciting, you know, and I'm, I'll be sharing my story about running and helping other uh, other individuals um, learn to run throughout this book. So definitely look forward to that because um, 70,000 words, here I come. That's so exciting. Congrats. Like, I'm, I'm just so excited for you. Is there any, is there anything else you can tell us about the book? Do you have like a due date? Is it, is it, is it, like you said, you're going to tell your story. So is it a nonfiction sort of like piece? Yeah, it's gonna be a nonfiction. Um, part, part. I want to say part memoir, part instruction manual is what this thing is gonna be, right? We don't necessarily like. It's too early to, to talk about like dates or when this thing is gonna be out. Um, I do have my initial due date, but I'm not willing to share that yet. But it's 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 interesting and exciting to really like see your name on a book contract. And like to see the number of words that you're 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 that that's gonna be like published in a book and it's gonna be in like in real bookstores, like that is exciting. Yeah. Did you ever visualize and envision that you would get here? Like I'm wondering like if if the path that you're on and all that you've built and all that you've created and this coaching career and this platform and this book. Did you dream about this stuff? Were you kind of working towards this, or was this sort of just like a very beautiful unfolding like I'm curious of like how clear you were about what you wanted to create um I, I'm very big in manifestation so some of the stuff yes and some of the stuff no right when it came to the book I, I already knew in my head like I got about three four books in me I got I got tons of stories and these things need to come out I just didn't know when or where or how that was going to get done um but for some of the stuff like once I told that doctor I was running that marathon, oh, I already had it in my head I was going to run a marathon. It was nothing nobody else can tell me um, that I wasn't going to do to not run that marathon. So, you know, when it comes to me, you know, once I make my mind up, like it's pretty much good as done. I'm just waiting on time to figure it out. I love that. Power of the mind, power of conviction, self-determination, you know, and, and three to four books. I love it. I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, anything else that you're looking forward to and excited about in life right now that you want to share? Um, I would say that's about it. Oh, other than that, you know, I got this little run club, you know, called the Slow F Run Club. We're about 6,000 members strong. You know, um, you can definitely check out more of that at the Slow F Run Club or slowfrunclub.com. Beautiful. Martinez, thank you so much for being here with us today. If people want to learn more about you, aside from slow a, slowafrunclub.com, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Aside from there, is there anywhere else where people should go to connect with you if they want to learn more, if they want to ask questions, where should they go? Absolutely. I am uh, 300 pounds of running on all things the internet. So 300 pounds of running.com uh, at 300, 300 pounds of running on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Wait, hold up. Don't go yet. If you loved this episode, it would mean so much to me and also Martinez if you were to share 
a screenshot of this episode in your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag us both at Kara's Kitchen and 300 Pounds and Running. Share it with a friend who has been wanting to be more physically fit and wanting to be more active and wanting to take care of themselves but has been really stuck in body shame or really hyper-focused on weight loss. I think this episode could be something that is a catalyst, something that really changes people's lives and and changes their relationship to health and their pursuit of health. So I hope you got a lot out of it. If you did, as always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Love Your Bod Pod. And I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye.